You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. My name is John Hart, and um, Pastor Lynn is uh, off doing some research this morning at another church uh, who's having a different event this morning. So he has offered to let me uh, speak on something that's very close to my heart. As you can see, I wrote a book on prayer because um, I really feel like it's one of the foundations of our faith. And I think that in a group this size, what we'll find is most everybody will say that it's a foundation of their faith. But when we talk about how little we do it or how we do it, we'll find out that it's, it's not something that we practice a whole lot. Let me get me a little table out here so I can put my notes down. Now, since we're in church, I'm sure that if I asked this, you guys would give me the church answer. And if I say, is prayer really important? Everybody would say, yeah, prayer is really important. And if I say, uh, do you think it can change lives? You'd say, yeah, I think, I think prayer can change lives. And if I said, do you think that uh, God hears us when we pray? Everybody in here would say, yeah, I think God hears us when we pray. But what we see in churches is we see a, a failure rate among businesses and marriages and rebellious kids and finances that are the same as the world. When you look at, when you look at those types of issues and those types of problems, what we see in, in the church is that the church is no more victorious than the world. That should bother us. That bothers me. I believe that God's got bigger, bigger plans for us and better plans for us than that. And so my question to you then is to go back to the prayer. Does prayer actually make a difference? And I know your church answer because your church answer is, of course, it makes a difference. But when we look at the statistics, we don't see much of a difference. When you look at your life, do you see much of a difference? See, we say on the outside, because we, because we are in church, and a lot of us have grown up in church, and, and we know the, the, the right, the appropriate answers. And if I say, is prayer important? Absolutely, prayer is important. Are you sure it's important? Absolutely, it's important. Does God hear you when you pray? Absolutely, He hears us when we pray. Does, does, does God heal, still heal, and does God still... Fix marriages and fix businesses and, and help rebellious kids. And does he help us? Un- Absolutely. He still does. But when we look at our priorities in our life, we see a different story. Because if we say that prayer is that important, then, then you would think that we would do a lot of it. Right? I mean, if, if we really feel like God can, can help us and we really feel like God can change us and God can help us with the, the difficulties in life and we can help us with the sicknesses and help us with the business failures and the marriage failures and help us with the rebellious kids and help us make decisions, then you would think that we do a whole lot of praying, right? But we don't. For the most part, we don't. Now, I'm not talking about, we've got to discount the little 30-second prayer that you say before you eat, Okay. We've got to discount the fact that when you lay down at night, you go, okay, I need to pray before I go to sleep. And you pray for about 90 seconds and, before, and then you're gone. You've got to discount that. Okay. Other than that, how much time do we as Christians really spend in prayer? 
Does prayer really change anything or not? Because the statistics show that we're struggling in the churches. We as Christians are struggling as much as those in the world. So does prayer make a difference or not? Does prayer not make a difference or are we just not praying? I believe it's the fact that we're not praying. And we say that we pray and everybody in here would say that prayer is really important. But the way that we spend our time shows our priorities. And that's the first fill in the blank in your, in your paper. Everybody in here, especially because you guys are in church. You, you've left your, the comfort of your home and your lazy boy and your bed to come to church because church is important and God's important. And that's the reason that you're here. So you're kind of the core group. You're God's core group. And everybody in here, I'm sure, would say that prayer is important. But the way that we spend our time shows where our real priorities are. Very few of us missed any meals this week. Me included. So I spent, I probably spent a good hour a day eating. You guys did too. Spent several hours a day sleeping. Spent a lot of hours working. Is working more important than God? No. Everybody in church, because we know the church answers, no. Work's not more important than God. Did you spend 40 or 50 or 60 hours working this week? Yeah. Did you spend 40, 50, 60 hours with God this week? No. Did you spend 40, 50, 60 minutes with God this week? Probably not. So our priorities give us away. And that's what I want to break us of this morning. That's part of what I want to show us this morning. I think that there's a reason that you're not praying more. And I know that it was the case in my life. And I think that if it was the case in my life, it's probably the case in some of y'all's lives as well. And I want to show you what that is. I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about the elephant that's in the room, so to speak. And talk about whether or not prayer actually changes anything. I'm going to start with a story that happened to me. Uh, when I was growing up, we moved a lot because as my dad would get promoted, we would move to different states. I was born and raised in in, uh, in this area, North Carolina, until I was about 13. And then when I was 13, we moved up north. Went to Pennsylvania. And there's a funny thing in Pennsylvania that men's volleyball is a big deal in Pennsylvania. Um, which people kind of laugh at, you know, because down in the south, it's a girl's sport. And up north, it's a guy's sport. Down south, they go, guys don't play volleyball. That's a girl's sport. And up, up north, they go, girls don't play volleyball. They'll get hurt. I mean, it's just a totally different mindset. And so the high school that I went to actually had a great men's power volleyball team. We won first place in the nation for three years in a row. Now, when I say we, I'm including myself on that team only because I was on that team. I wasn't first string or second. Actually, I wasn't third string. I was kind of the string that made third string possible. You know, I was just learning. Okay. And uh, sat under Coach Leach, and he was a great coach. And uh, so... And I played that for two years and had a ball. I, I was absolutely hooked. Um, it's a very fast game, very precise, a lot of percentages and, and uh, everything. Uh, very different than outdoor ball. I, I love indoor ball. I don't even play outdoor ball. It's just it's very different. So, but then uh, after I finished uh, two years of high school there, the Lord moved us again. So now I had to go to a different high school, this time in Indiana, and they didn't have a men's or a women's volleyball team. So it was during that time that I was really missing volleyball that I get a phone call. I have no idea how they found out about me, but Coach Lee, or Arnie Ball, excuse me, Arnie Ball from Indiana State University, Purdue University, 
heard that I was in the area, and I, I don't, I, I'm assuming he heard that I played on, a, on the national team at my previous high school, invited me to come to Indiana University and play with Indiana University and Purdue University during the summer for their volleyball program. Because they, you know, they play year-round. These guys are all on scholarships, and they play year-round. I was the only high school kid in the whole gym, and I thought I was the bomb. I mean, that was just a big deal for a high school kid to get to go work out with these nationally ranked college players, you know. Now, we're going to show you a little video of the kind of ball that I used to play because, again, I don't think the example will mean as much to you if you don't even know what I'm talking about when I say men's power volleyball. And best we can figure, me and Andrew are the only two that have ever watched it. So he's going to show you a little bit on the screen, just a few seconds worth. And what you'll notice is that the ball is always in play, rarely hits the ground. They're doing it in slow motion because when the guys hit the ball, they're clocking them with radars in excess of 95 miles an hour. And if you'll notice, even though they're attacking the ball and it's going 95 miles an hour, the other team just digs it up. We either block it or we dig it. That's what we're taught to do. And uh, just because it's hit so hard doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a point. I loved it. It was fast. It was very physical. And I got to do this all summer long. And then comes the day when one of the co- uh, Arnie Ball, now Arnie Ball was like the, he still is, the third winningest coach in college volleyball, in NCAA Division I. He's the bomb. He went on to coach the Olympic team. And his son, who I played with, was the setter for three different Olympics. That means he played over 12 years. I don't know. That's a long time to play at that level, you know. So anyhow, so he sends an assistant to me, and he says, I think that you need to try out for the National Sports Fest. That's the feeder team to the Olympic team. And Arnie says, I should try out? I mean, I'm the only high schooler in the whole gym. So I was very honored, as you can imagine. Man, my head starts spinning. Think of the opportunities this was going to open up for me. I mean, if I got on that, I I doubt that I'd make the Olympic team because I was too small, too short, too young. But if I was on the National Sports Fest, think of the the, um, scholarships and things like that. I get to travel with the team. This was going to be a huge deal. And and I I probably, and I was 18 at the time, I, I, I think that I was probably more excited about that than anything I've ever been excited about up to that point. So I began to pray. God, I don't know how Arnie Ball even found out about me in this little school in Indiana, but he invited me to practice with his team. That's cool. Now he's inviting me to try out for the National Sports Fest. That's even cooler. And so I got to think that you're in this. I got to believe that you're in this. And so I'm just praying that you'll, that you'll uh, give me this opportunity and help me make this team. I know I'm smaller and younger than the rest of them, but, but I know that you can overcome that. And so, but, but we also know that when we're praying for stuff, we also have to do our part, right? And that what we, that's what I was always taught. If you're a farmer and you're praying for rain, you better start plowing your field, right? You got to plow while the dirt's dry. You can't wait till after it rains and then start trying to plow, right? So if you believe, if you have faith, then you've got to do your part while you believe. So I'm believing God for prayer. And then I also knew, see, I want to cover all my bases. I also knew that there's another scripture that says where any two or three are gathered together, God's with them. If any two agree in prayer on anything... That God will grant it. You guys remember that passage? Okay. So I said, okay, so I'm going to get my friend. So I had one of my best buddies, and I said, I need you to agree with me in prayer that this is God's will and that he'll make this opportunity happen for me. And so he did. And I said, but we're going to work out every day. Can you do that? He said, sure. Now, this is a best friend. This is high school best friend. He worked out with me six hours every day, six days a week for a month. Okay. I mean, we did drill after drill after drill after drill. I was serious about this. This was 
huge to me. This was my future. This, I mean, I was, I, I, it's just hard. To, I, I, have you guys ever had anything in your life that you prayed that hard over? Have you ever had a relationship or a job or a car or an opportunity or a, something that you've ever prayed that hard over? Because I did. And this, this was a big deal. We worked out every day. We prayed. And I went to the, I went and I, and I went to the tryout. And those of you in here that are athletes, you know how sometimes you just have a, an off day and you can't really describe it. It's just, you're just off. Nothing that you can do is right. That was the kind of day I had. Went to this tryout. It was, I was embarrassed. I played so bad. Okay? But my faith was never shaken. I, pl- I tried out. They sent me home uh, bleeding and intimidated. And I just thought, man, I made a mess out of that. So I call my friend, and he says, how'd it go? How'd it go? Because this, this is a high school buddy who's been working out with me for a month. He don't, even have any, he don't even have a dog in this fight. He just cared about me enough to help me practice that long. How'd it go? I'm like, dude, I, it's, I, couldn't hit the, I couldn't hit the floor if you put me in a barn and closed the doors. I, I just, it was one of those days. He said, well, you don't sound too discouraged. I said, I'm not. I said, you know why? Do you know why I think that I messed up that, that tryout so bad? Because I feel like when I make that team, I'm going to know that it was God that put me on that team, not my skill. I still believe that I'm, that I'm going to that sports fest, that I'm going to make that team. And I believe, and my faith has not wavered one bit. And if God lets me mess up in a tryout that bad, it's because when I make that team, it'll be for His glory and His honor, not because I had a great skill level. Had no doubt. Then I get this letter about two weeks later. Still yellow. This is the actual letter. Because it's old. Because this was a long time ago. Long time ago when I was in high school. So here's the letter. From the United States Volleyball Association. The actual... hmm. Dear athlete. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten a letter like this. But nothing good starts with dear athlete. It's not dear John Hart. It's not... It's dear athlete. It is regrettable that only 12 of the many qualified players trying out for the position on the National Sports Fest team can be named. Unfortunately, you have not been selected. You are commended on your hard work and your... All the other stuff that they try to tell you that makes you feel better about the fact that they just told you you didn't make it. What do you do with that? I prayed hard. I prayed believing. My faith never wavered. I had somebody that prayed, with, agreed with me in prayer. I did my part. I worked hard. Then I get a letter like this. So what do you do with that? As Christians, I'm asking you. Have you ever had anything in your life that you wanted really, really bad? That you prayed really, really hard for? That you trusted God 100% for? And then you get a letter like that. I would say that most likely in a group this size, the majority, I don't mean half, I mean more than half, know exactly how I feel or how I felt. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So then we're faced with a decision. Does prayer do any good? Or is this just a cruel joke? I mean, why pray if we're not going to get what we want? 
And I had a crisis of faith. I mean, here I am, a teenager, and I'm not, I'm not interested in going to church and playing church. I want to know if God's real or not. I'm serious about God. And, I, and I've put all of my eggs in His basket, and then this comes up, and I've got I to ask myself, is, is this real or not? I can't, I, can't, I can't get these pieces of the puzzle to match together. All my life I've heard about prayer. I want to show you just one passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples in Luke 11, 9 through 11. I'm going to read through this pretty quick. The, the, the references are in your bulletin, so you can read it again later if you want to. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. Everyone that asketh, asketh, everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh finds. Well, I knocked. I didn't get it. I seeked and I didn't find it. I'm and in the next verse, whatsoever you ask in my name, that, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you will ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that not what it says? It's exactly what it says. And then in the next chapter, right after that, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and, I, and it will be done to you. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it. John 16, the next chapter. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Because up till now you've not asked anything in my name, but ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Is that what it says? Because see, I've been in church since I was little. And I knew these verses. I may not have known them in context, but I knew these verses. And here we have Jesus saying five times in the same conversation with his disciples. He's talking to his disciples. In the same conversation, five times he says, ask and I'll give it to you. Does he not? Is that what it says? Oh, come on. You guys are afraid to, because you know it's a trick question, don't you? You guys are afraid to answer. Is that what it says? Yes. On face value, is that not what you've always read? Yes. So now I'm faced with a decision. Because either I misunderstand that, or God's a liar. And at this point, I'm thinking, I, I know God, I know God's not a liar. But I can't get past these verses. I mean, I, all of this stuff that I did was because I knew the scriptures and I knew that, uh, that to agree in prayer and I knew that you're supposed to ask it in his name. I, I knew all these things. And, and now I've prayed and I didn't get it. And I don't know what to do with that. And that brings up a very important question that we're going to have to talk about and that is your motive for praying. And we're going we're gonna to talk about... As this goes on. Now, this is going to be a three-part sermon, okay? It's going to, I'm going to get to preach this week and the next two weeks. And even in three weeks, all I'm going to be able to show you is the tip of the iceberg, okay? Because prayer is a big deal. But I'm going to show you as much as I can. And one of the things that we're going to have to examine is our motive as to why we pray. Because here's what I think has happened to the vast majority of everybody in here. This is what I think has happened to the vast majority of the church nationwide or worldwide. No, not worldwide. Nationwide. Because we're kind of spoiled here in America. 
I think that you have asked for so much for so long and have received so little that you've given up. I think that you have asked for so much for so long and received so little that you have simply given up. You've asked God for stuff and then he didn't do it. I asked God for stuff and he didn't give it to me. Well, if uh, he, okay, he's God, he's sovereign, he can do what he wants to, but if he's going to do what he wants to anyhow, when and why pray? If I'm going to ask for stuff and he's not going to give it to me, then why would I pray? And I think that you guys are in that same, a lot of you are in that same spot. You've asked God for stuff and he didn't come through. You've prayed and you said, you claim those scriptures and then didn't get what you wanted. So you've given up. I mean, it's one thing if I'm going to pray for an hour and then God's going to give me what I want. Or, or maybe I've got something I really, really want and he makes me pray for like weeks. But I eventually get it. Then, OK, I get that. But if I pray and I pray and then I still don't get it. Then the next time I just pray a lot less. And then eventually I'll say, you know what, he's going to do what he wants to anyway. Why bother? I think that that's exactly where the church is at. I really do. I really think that that's the reason that I can stand up here. And if I had you raise your hands, which I didn't, because everybody would anyway. And I said, is prayer important? Everybody goes, yes, prayer's important. And I said, do you do it every day? And you go, yes, because you're talking about that 30 seconds before you eat, which doesn't count. And then, and then I say, do you believe prayer changes things? Yes. Do you think prayer changes things for you? I don't know about that one. Does prayer change things for you? Is God, is, did God make man out of nothing? Absolutely. You believe that, right? The church believes that. God made man out of nothing. The word in the Hebrew is baral. He didn't take mud and spit and water and clay and oxygen and, and make a man. The, the word barah is only used twice in the whole Bible and it means from nothing. He spoke us into being. If he spoke us into being, do you think that he can take care of us? If he spoke us into being, do you think that he can take care of our problems? Do you think he can heal us, take care of our financial needs? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I've heard that all my life. Well, guess what? He owns the hills they're standing on too. But that don't mean he's going to give it to me. Right? So what we've got is, yeah, I believe God can heal. You think he'll heal you? I don't know about that. I believe God has the resources to make me successful. I don't know that he'll do it for me. I believe God can heal relationships and businesses and turn wayward children, rebellious children. I believe God can do all that. I don't know if he'll do it for me or not. Because I've asked him for stuff before. I just didn't get it. Matter of fact, I've asked for a lot of stuff and didn't get it. So we've quit praying. The reason that the church as a whole is not living in victory, I am convinced, is because we have ceased to pray. And we're going to talk about that because the question still stands. Well, if he's going to do what he's going to, if he's going to do what he wants to anyway, then why pray? Okay? And we're going to talk about that. So after I got this letter, I had a decision to make, just like I'm asking you guys to make this morning. And that is, is God real or not? Does he hear us or not? But here's the first thing that I want you to realize. Without even knowing it, without even consciously realizing it, 
We as Christians treat God like he's Santa Claus. What we do is we go to God and ask him for stuff all the time. That's what we do. That's what prayer is, right? We ask God for stuff. Now, I'm going to read you something and you see if this sounds, sounds right. He lives in a place far, far away and we're not allowed to see him, but we do have to believe in him or we won't get what we want. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He already knows who's been naughty or nice. And we send him our request and then based on how good we are, he decides how much we get. But we have to believe in him because if you don't believe, you won't get what you're asking for. Now, who am I talking about? Santa Claus or God? Is that not exactly how we view God? Lives in a place far, far away. We're not allowed to see him, but we have to believe in him or we won't get anything. He knows who's been naughty or nice. We send him our request, and then based on how good we are, he decides how much we get. We're talking about the God of all creation. We're talking about the God who sent his son to die for our sins who, so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven and we have reduced him down to a fat little gray-haired man in heaven. Have we not? And there's another thing that this adds, that adds to the confusion here. And that is, if that is our mindset, and I think that it is for the most part, that's our mindset. It won't be after the end of this three weeks, but it is now. The problem with that is that when you don't get what you ask, you got to figure it's because you're not good enough. Because good little boys and girls get what they ask for from Santa Claus. So if, if, you ask for God, if you ask God for something and you don't get it, it must be because there's some secret sin in your life. You've done something wrong. God's not happy with you. And Satan will use that to add confusion and guilt onto a situation where you're already defeated. You pray for something and you don't get it and you go, Why? what did I do wrong? Why is God mad at me? Well, there must be some secret sin in my life. And we'll confess everything we've ever done and some things we didn't do, just in case. Because we, we want to be good little boys and girls because we want to get what we want to get. And we're assuming that that's stopping it. Now, as a disclaimer, anytime that our plans are not going the way that we think, or any time that dif there's difficulties that arise in life, it is always wise, it is always prudent for a Christian to stop and say, is there sin in my life that might be blocking the blessings of God? I, I understand that. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the fact that not, every time you, not, not everything that happens to you is because you've got sin in your life. And, not, and sometimes when God doesn't answer, it's not because you've got sin in your life. But Satan will certainly tell you that, and he will use that to try to defeat you. But here's the, here's the problem. Keeping the, keeping the whole Santa Claus thing in mind, we act as if God is waiting to serve us like some genie in a bottle. Okay, But let's look at what the Bible says. Colossians 1.16 For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created by Him. And for him. All things. Including us. All things. Things in heaven. Things in earth. Invisible. Not invisible. 
Everything was created by him and for him. We've got that all wrong. I don't know. I think if you would have asked me the question, was God created for you or were you created for God? I think growing up in church, I would have had the right answer. I said, oh, I was created for God. But then if you would have been able to listen in on my prayers, it would have been the exact opposite. It was, I thought God was created for me because all I ever do is ask him for stuff. All I ever do is go to him and beg him for stuff. So I began to realize, now wait a minute. That's different. God's saying that if you ask, I'll give it to you. But, but now, I wasn't, he wasn't even created to give me stuff. I was created for his glory, not him for mine. Now, he does go on to say that he loves us and he wants to adopt us as his own children. So this began to be like a second piece of this puzzle for me because I'm really struggling with this back then. I, and so the second piece of the puzzle was when I began to read verses like 2 Corinthians 6.18 and John 1.12 where he says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then John 1.12, But as many received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now I'm going to tell you something neat about God. He didn't get his feelings hurt very easy. And so he knows I'm mad at him. He knows that I'm questioning him. I see a lot of us, us, the church, I'm not talking about unsaved, we're not talking about outside these walls. A lot of us in here question God. We have questions for God. And we're scared to death to voice them. He knows your thoughts. He reads your mind. He knows. But you know what? He's a, he's a big boy. He, he gets it. I was questioning God. I was telling him, I said, God, either I'm way off base here or you're a liar. I'm telling that. You know, I might as well because I'm thinking it. And you know what he's kind enough to do? He's begin to show me pieces of the puzzle so that I can understand how I have misunderstood prayer. And these are some of the pieces of the puzzle. One is that I was created for him, not the other way around. And the second thing is that he wants to be a father to me. Now, if you want to, if if your four-year-old son, now we've got lots of good parents in here, okay? Um, Actually, I don't know that. I'm just assuming we have lots of good parents in here. (laughs) And you have a four-year-old boy who comes to you and wants a gun. I mean, because zombies are a real threat. Aliens are too. And we've got to have some way to defend ourselves, right? This is what boys do. So he comes to you and says, Dad, I need a gun. The aliens are coming. The zombies are coming. Then you do what any good dad would do. You go and you get him a six-hour, nine-millimeter or a Glock 45. Show him how to load the clip and, and show, t- show him where the safety's at and how to take it off and hand it to him. Because that's what good dads do. We give our kids everything they ask for. Right? Stupid. That's ludicrous. Nobody, no good daddy would do that. Your daughter's three or four or five or going to the prom and she wants to dress up like a princess. Okay? And she says, ooh, I want to play dress up and I want to play like I'm getting married and I need a diamond ring. Mama, I need a diamond ring. So you go to your dresser and you pull out the biggest, nicest diamond ring you've got and let her play with it, right? Of course not. Why? Because you don't love them. That's why. You must not love them or you'd give them what they asked for. Right? 
If you really loved your son, you'd give him everything you wanted. So you must not love your kids. Right? How many times have you prayed for stuff that God didn't give you and you just assumed he didn't love you? So he must not really love me or he'd give me that. You see, you see the problem? So when I begin to understand that he wanted to be a father to me, and I realized that even earthly fathers who are not as good a fathers as he is would not give their kids everything that they asked for, then I had to begin, I had to, begin to think to myself, there's more to this story than just ask me and I'll give it to you. There's got to be more to it. I've got to be taking some of that out of context because even an earthly daddy knows better than to do that. So I began to realize that I was asking for lots of things and maybe I didn't even know what was best for me. Then I ran across Matthew chapter 26, verse 38 through 45. I'm sorry. Back up. They're ahead of me. I messed up. I had a fill in the blank there and it's important. I just... God wants to be our father. He just doesn't want to be our sugar daddy. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. And he loves you so much that he wants you to be happy. He wants to be your true father. And some of, some of you, I can't say us, some of you didn't even have a good earthly father. But you've got a great heavenly father. Let's hope that you don't view your heavenly father like you view your earthly father. Just because your earthly father makes mistakes does not mean that your heavenly father does. But the problem is, he wants to be your father, not your sugar daddy. He's not just there to give you everything that you ask for. Matter of fact, when we go to uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, we'll see this. Now, this is Jesus praying. This is Jesus and the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. This is just before he gets killed. He says, to his, he says unto them, which is the disciples, because that's who he's talking to. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he, then he came back to the disciples and he found them asleep. Okay, now there's a whole other sermon in there. About those of us who have felt betrayed and abandoned. And you think God doesn't understand. Here's Jesus the night that he's getting ready to be crucified. Who has disciples that he has spent the last three, three and a half years with. He has given them everything that they have. He has sustained them. He has taught them. He has brought them out of the, the, the life that they had. And, and given them revelation. And let them walk the earth with the very son of God. And when he needs them the most, they fall asleep. That's a whole other sermon. That was free. That little intro, was, we'll do that a different day. So he said, could you not watch with me for an hour? So he's already been praying for an hour. So uh, he's serious about this, people. The very son of God, who knows he's getting ready to get killed, prays for an hour. He doesn't, he doesn't haphazardly say, oh, hey, God, listen, if there's another way, let's do the other way, because I ain't liking this whole crucifixion thing, okay? Hey, you got another plan? What else you got? You're God, right? I mean, you got to have more than one plan. This isn't, 
This is not what he's doing. He's falling on his face and he's praying for an hour. God, please, I don't want to do this. I know what's coming. I've seen this. It's ugly. I don't want to do this. If there's any way, any way, let's do that. However, however, not my will, but yours be done. Then he goes back. He finds the disciples. They're sleeping. He wakes them up. He says, please, I know that the flesh is, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes back and he prays again. And he comes back and he finds them sleeping again. He says, sleeping, sleeping. So now he's, not only is he in distress, and he's dreading what's coming, and he's asking his father to let him out of it, and those who are supposed to be his best friends and followers who said, we'll follow you to the death unless it requires staying awake, in which case we're just going to go to sleep. So now he feels betrayed. And I'm thinking, see, I'd read that passage of Scripture just like you guys said. I'd read that passage of Scripture a bunch of times in my life. And it dawned on me, because now I'm, I'm dealing with all this thing on prayer, and it dawned on him, dawned dawns on me that even Jesus didn't get what he asked for. Jesus was wanting a way out. He was just willing to do the Father's will if that's what it had to be. But he was really wanting another way out. Then I looked at Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9. Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure, in other words, unless I should get cocky, Okay, exalted above measure is a King James way of saying unless I get cocky. Through the abundance of revolutions, which means God has shown me a bunch of stuff. So, so that I don't get cocky because God has shown me a whole bunch of stuff. Because Paul wrote most of the New Testament or a, lot, a big part of it, right? There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, which is also King James for three times and he said my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect in your weakness so most gladly therefore will i rather glory in my infirmities so paul who is doing the work of the lord who is writing the bible as we know it now who has spent his entire life since he was converted to spreading the gospel and doing god's work the very man who God has chosen and ordained to write the words that we read today, who's imprisoned and shipwrecked and all kinds of other things, and he just keeps enduring for Christ. He just keeps, he's like the Energizer Bunny. They did everything they could. They beat him, they whipped him, they shipwrecked him, snakes bit him. He's in prison, and he's still writing the Word of God. He's the guy that says, God, can you at least take this thorn out of my flesh? Now, we don't know if it's physical or spiritual. It doesn't matter. What matters is he, three times he asked God, and God said, no. Because it's better for you. It's better for the ministry. You'll be much more effective because of the thorn in the flesh because it'll keep you humble. I don't think that was the decision. I don't think that that was the answer that he was looking for. But he was okay with it. He said, because... I will most gladly, therefore, glory in my infirmities. I will glory in the fact that I have, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So now you can see, as a kid, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to get these pictures. Everybody, even Jesus and Paul don't get what they ask for. And, and, and God wants to be my father, not, not just my sugar daddy. 
And so I begin to understand that praying is not just about always getting stuff. And what really drove this home to me was another example. We, when I was uh, in junior and senior in high school, my last two years of high school, we lived on a lake in Indiana. Because we moved from Pennsylvania, moved over to Indiana. And there was a lady that lived beside us um, who had two granddaughters who hung out with us all the time. We lived on a lake, so we had a ski boat. And, and the, the, grandma, the girls would come stay with the grandmother on the weekends. And we uh, just had a ball. It was me and my sister. And, and I had two other friends that we were like the th- Well, we probably weren't like the th- uh, three musketeers. We were probably more like the three stooges. But, but there was three of us. And so and my sister and, her, and we'd all hang out together. And their names were Chris and Jeannie. And so Chris and Jeannie... And the funny, the weird, odd thing about Chris and Jeannie were, was that their daddy was an atheist. Actually, he was an agnostic. He, he, he didn't just believe that there wasn't a God. He was mad at you if you believed that there was a God. Okay? Um, and so, uh, for two years, you know, every time we, and we had an active youth group, so we were constantly doing stuff with the youth group, and we were constantly witnessing to the girls. But then they would go home and ask their daddy, and he would just, you know, bash that out of them. And... and um, and we would constantly ask them to go to functions, you know, pizza parties and, and uh, days on the lake and go to the movies and do, go to the youth group and do all of these things with the youth group. And, and he would never let them go to any of that. And he'd let them play on the boat with us and stuff like that. But he would never let them go to anything had, having to do with church. And so there was this one time, one time in two years, one time, that we asked them to go to a concert. Because we always ask them. They just never got to go. And they called back and said, yeah, we can go. Oh, really? It's a Christian concert. I'm assuming they didn't tell their dad the Christian part. They must have just said concert because there's no way he's going to let them go to a Christian concert. So we get to go to the Christian concert, and while they're there, I don't even I don't know who the band. I wish I knew who the band was, but this was a long time ago. And um, and so the band's playing, and it's a great concert, and we're sitting out on the grassy, you know, um, like amphitheater type thing. And the and I'm they begin to give an altar call, and they begin to give their their testimony. They begin to tell about Jesus and how he died for our sins and, and why that's important and that kind of thing. And I began to ask the girls, do you believe that? And they went, yeah, we do, actually. I said, you believe that Jesus is real? And they said, yeah, we do. I said, because your daddy doesn't. And they said, well, that's daddy. We believe that Jesus was real. I said, do you understand that he died for your sins? And they went, well, not really. Don't understand that part so much. And I, so I began to explain, Jesus died for your sins. And I said, do you understand that you have to ask him for forgiveness? Because to just believe that God is, or that Jesus is real, I mean, the demons believe that. That don't get them to heaven, right? So you got to ask him for forgiveness. And then he said that he would forgive you, and he would come live inside of you, and for all of eternity, you get to go to heaven. Meanwhile, there's this mm, probably nice meaning, probably Baptist lady sitting in front of us who keeps turning around going, shh. They're having an altar call. And I go, I know we are too. She goes, shh, you're being... And I said, girls, do you understand that you need Jesus? Shh. They said, yes. I said, do you want to ask Jesus today to, to forgive you of your sins? And they both said, yes. And that night, on our knees, in the grass, I got to lead both girls to the Lord in the same day. I said, what does it have to do with prayer? This is what it has to do with prayer. 
I got home, and I could not wait to call the other two musketeers and tell them that Chris and Jeannie just got saved because this was like off the charts for me as a teenager. Their dad's an agnostic, and I just got to lead both of them to the Lord. And I don't care what, I don't care what they're going home to. He can't take that away from them. I don't care. He can stomp on their beliefs. He can discourage them. He can tell them it's not real. I don't care. He can't take salvation away from them. Amen? So I called my friend Carl. And I said, Carl, guess what? He goes, wow, you're in a good mood. And I went, yeah, guess what just happened? And I told him about Chris and Jeannie. And he said, man, that's awesome. And we talked a little bit. And he wants to know, how in the world did you? And so I told him. And, he, and I said, why don't you think, why don't you say, wow, you're in a good mood? He goes, do you not know what day this is? I went, uh, Saturday? He goes, no, doofus. You were supposed to leave for the National Sports Fest yesterday. I figured you'd be all depressed. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I just about traded two girls eternity for volleyball. Not a good trade. Had God come to me and said, okay, John, I'm sick and tired of hearing you beg for the volleyball thing. All right, so here's your choices. You can go to the National Sports Fest. I'll make it happen. Or two girls can go to eternity because of you. I'll take that, day. I'll take that trade any day. God knew that. He knew that. That's what, you know what? They moved away within weeks of that, and I never got to see them again. I've never seen them since then. They moved away. That was my last window of opportunity, and I just about blew it playing volleyball. So you know what that did to me in my prayer life? <laughs> I was afraid to ask for anything. I'm afraid to ask for anything because I don't know the future. I, what if I mess up again? What if I ask for something and, and what if I ask for a car and then that's the car that kills me? What if I ask for a job and then that's what, that, and, that, and I'm miserable in that job or I get hurt in that job? What if I ask for something? What if, what if? So then I just quit, I kind of quit praying again. <laughs> I went from praying because, I had stopped praying because, well, God's going to do whatever he wants to anyway. Why pray? So now I'm, now I'm to the point that I don't know what to pray for. So I quit praying again. That brings up the next key that I want you to understand. And that is, when we begin to understand that we have viewed God as Santa Claus. And all we've done is ask. But we, but we weren't created for that. God wasn't created to fill our needs. We were created to give Him glory. Then what we begin to realize is that, that prayer is not just about getting stuff. It's tapping into God's wisdom and His will. I was so busy trying to get what I wanted that I almost traded two girls eternity for it. Because the problem with prayer or the problem with my prayer up to that point, and I would assume that, it has, that it's the same problem that a lot of y'all fight with, is that all we ever do is ask for stuff. Why pray? If you're not going to ask for stuff, isn't that what prayer is? You just go to God and ask Him for stuff. Right? That's not a good time to agree. That's a trick question. But that's the only thing that we do is we go to God and ask Him for stuff. If we're not going to God and asking for stuff, then why pray? That was how limited my view was at that point. 
in time. Now I begin to understand. Prayer is not about going to God and asking for stuff. It's going to God and seeking His wisdom and His will. Because He does know the future. He does know what's best for me. He does, want, he does love me so much He sent His only Son to die for me. He loves me so much He wants me to be happy. But He knows ultimately what will make me happy. He knows how to give me joy, not just a temporary happiness. The God of all creation loves us, and prayer is our way of having a relationship with Him. And a relationship cannot be one way. It cannot be that we do all the talking and He does all the listening. That's not a relationship. That's what I'm doing to you. I'm doing all the talking, you're doing all the listening. This is not a relationship. This is a sermon. Okay, prayer, when you go to God in prayer and say, give me this, give me this, give me this, thank you very much, I'm done, is not a relationship. Jesus didn't die to be your fire escape. I want you to hear that. Jesus didn't come and live on earth and die on the cross to save you from hell alone. That's a byproduct. But the real reason is he wants to have a relationship with us. And he can't have a relationship with us while there's sin in between us and him. So when, he, when you get saved, yes, that's your fire escape. Yes, you're not going to hell anymore. Yes, you get to go to heaven. But that is the starting point. Not the ending point. That is the starting point of a relationship with him. As a matter of fact, in John 10, 10, he says, The thief cometh not, the devil, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. How many of you in here are living abundantly? How many Christians in this world are living abundantly? Because the statistics say not too many. About the same amount that's living in the real world. The unsaved world. Because our statistics match theirs. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. What we need to be doing though is we need to be going to God. As we seek His wisdom and His will. We need to be looking for His insight. Instead of constantly making requests. We need to, we've got a Heavenly Father that's willing to lead us. Willing to guide us. And we need to be going to him and seeking his insight. Now, if you are going to seek my insight on anything, then you have to listen. You can come to me and say, hey, John, what's the best way to whatever? Make a T-shirt. That's what I do for a living, make T-shirts. What's the best way to make a T-shirt? And then turn around and walk away. And I'll I begin to describe it, I guess, but you're already walking away. Right? If you want my insight, you've got to actually sit there and listen for it. We go to God, we've got to seek His insight, then that means you've got to listen. This is a communication, this is a relationship, not a one-way street. We can't go to God and ask Him for His insight and then say, thank you very much, amen, and turn around and walk away. We've got to spend time nurturing this relationship. We need to seek the face of God, not just the hand of God. And this is just like a little cliche that I like to use because it's easy to remember. We need to seek the face of God, not just the hand of God. For years, all we have done is gone to God and ask Him for stuff. We seek His hand out. We need to be seeking His face. Oh, God, what would you have me do? God, what is your answer to this situation? God, what do you want me to do for a job? God, how on earth, what can I do? What insight can you give me to help save this marriage or this business or this job or to help me turn my rebellious kids around? Oh, God, you've got the answers and I don't. God, I need you to help me in this. I need your insight. 
That's what we need to be doing. Not just asking for stuff. Here's the... Here's the governing theological principle. This is the one simple thought. The one thing that when you leave here and somebody says, Oh, what are you talking about today? Oh, I'm on a prayer or something. This is what I want you to say. This is the one thing I want you to remember. Prayer isn't about changing God's will. It's about finding it. Prayer is less about changing God's will and much more about finding God's will. Now, I've got a space on the bottom of your bulletin. We're just about done, but this is a hard question. And I didn't want to do a fill-in-the-blank because you guys cheat, and you'd have already read down there, and you'd know where I was going. Plus, I didn't really know how to word it. That's a long question. But I want you to fill this out, and I want you to fill it out in your own words. Here's the hard question. If God said today, America, you are blessed. I have blessed you for years. Christians individually, I've blessed you for years. You've got roofs over your head. You've got food on the table. And even on your worst day, you're better off than 95% of the world. So what I'm going to do, I still love you. Nothing. I still love you, and that hasn't changed. But I'm going to go bless somebody else in the world now, and I'm not going to give you anything else, okay? I've given you so much already, but I, and I love you, but I, I'm not going to give you anything else, okay? I've given you so much already. Would you still pray? That's the hard question. If God said, I'm not going to give you anything else, what would you even pray about? What would you even pray about? All you've ever prayed is for stuff. I mean, here's a prayer. Uh, Just an idea. This sounds like a prayer that we would pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Please forgive me for my temper and the things that I said to my family last night. You know I'm, I'm under a lot of stress and... Please grant my family safety as we travel to and from work and from school. And give me the strength to get all of my work done so that the boss will get off my back. And help me deal with that inconsiderate jack leg beside me at work. I mean, you know I've tried to witness to him, but you know how he, how he is. Now, keep the kids safe, please, as they go to school. And help them get good grades. And, and Lord, you know we need help paying the bills so they don't come take the bass boat away or turn off our couch. Lord, you know my mother-in-law ain't right. So just show her where she's wrong because that would ease a lot of tensions in the house. Help the leaders of our church make good decisions and give them strength and, and wisdom as they minister to all the membership. And, and grant, grant strength to the missionaries who are doing your work overseas. And forgive our politicians for they know not what they do. <laughs> now, most of you, if you will admit, probably don't pray that long every day. And if we took out all of the stuff that we were asking for, this is how the prayer would read. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Amen. Everything else in there is help me, ask me, give me, protect me. That's all we do. So if God came to you and said, I love you, but I'm not going to give you anything else, would you still pray? Because some of you right now aren't praying, and it's because God didn't give you what you wanted. How? See, that's where I was at, and that that hit home hard. So if God's not going to give me anything else, what would I even pray about? Because you know what? Up until that point in my life, I had not established a relationship with Jesus. And if I was was to just quit asking Him for stuff, (laughs) 
I wouldn't know what to talk about. That's all I've ever done. So here's your homework. You know you have homework. Homework. I thought school was out. And this is hard, homework, too. This is not, you don't have to write it on the board a thousand times or anything like that. But this is the homework for the, for the week. In the coming weeks, we're going to learn more about how to communicate better with God. Okay? Again, I'll show you a little bit of the iceberg. It's, if you want the book, it's, it's, it's out there. And it'll describe it some more. But I'm going to show you as much as I can in three weeks. But for now, I want to challenge you to pray every day. Okay? For half an hour. Every day. Now, and I don't mean... You know, the 30 seconds before God is good, God is great, thank you for the food we ate. I don't mean when you lay down in bed and you mean to pray for 30 minutes, but you pray for 30 seconds and fall asleep. I'm talking about setting time aside. Okay, 30 minutes is not reasonable. Okay, so let's go 15. I want you to commit. Okay, 15. Now you won't do 15 either. Um, Five. Can you give me five minutes? Actually, don't give me. Give give God. Can you give God five minutes and commit Make a commitment that you will pray for five minutes every day. Here's the catch. For this week alone, don't ask for anything. Not a single thing. You can't can't ask God for anything. That will be the hardest five minutes you've ever spent. You say, five minutes, that's nothing. That five minutes is a piece of cake. And you'll get to start praying, and you'll say, God, thank you for today, and thank you for my church, and thank you for this country that we're living in, and thank you for loving me, and thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, and please help me. I mean, um, um, I mean, thank you for the soldiers, and just help them to... Um, oh, man. Wow, five minutes is a long time. That's exactly what you'll do. And you know what I want? You know why I want you to do that? I get more emails on this than anything else. Okay? So if you need to email me because you're upset, then it's lynn at day3church.com. Okay? <laughs> People are scared to death. If they don't ask God for something for a week, he's, their world's going to fall apart. Okay? Got a clue for you. God knows that this is an exercise and that you're doing this to try to draw closer to Him, and He will reward you abundantly. Don't worry. Your world won't fall apart. Okay? So He, he gets it. This is an exercise. This is a practice. But what, what I want it to teach you is, when you try to pray for five minutes every day this week and try not to ask for anything, you will find out that you have a very, very, very difficult time communicating with God because all you've ever done is ask. It's time to break that habit. And before we can go to the next two weeks and, and learn the joy of, 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 of a relationship with Christ... And, and learning how to live an abundant life. And before we can learn all of that, we've got to break old habits first. And that's, that's, your, that's your homework for this week is to break that, break that, okay? Stand with me, if you will. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a, a short time of decision. And this is what I want you to be deciding during this time of decision. Do you want to have a relationship with Christ? Do you want to live the abundant life? Do you want to tap into His insight and His wisdom? Do you want to live in the joy, the type of joy that only He can give you? And if the answer to that is yes, and surely to goodness it's yes, then are you willing to do the hard part? And that is spend a week not asking Him for anything so that you can learn. It'll show you how much you, you, you beg, how little relationship you have, and it'll force you to begin to find other things to talk about with God. 
All right, so during that time of decision, if you want to come down here, if you want to talk to me, or if you just want to do it in your chair, that's fine too. That's the decision. Are you serious about this? Or are you going to go for the rest of your life saying, yeah, yeah, prayer is important. I just don't do it. Yeah, yeah, prayer. Yeah, God can answer prayers. He just don't answer mine. Or is today the day all of that changes? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for the fact that they love you. I thank you for the fact that, that we have a place to come and worship you without being harassed or arrested. Lord, I thank you that, that, that you sent Jesus to die for us and that you want to be our Father, that you even, you even know who we are. God, I was so impressed with the fact that Arnie Ball knew who I was. The coach of Indiana University knew who I was. That's nothing compared to the God of the universe knowing my name. You know my name. You know everything about me. You know all my flaws and you love me anyway. God, I don't even know how to say thank you for that. But I want to. And as a group, Lord, we, the majority of us in here want to have a relationship with you. We want to know what it's like to be loved by you. We want to know what it's like to be um, living in victory and to have your insight and your wisdom in our lives. For that, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to make a decision, now's the time. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dathan Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.